Lord, King of glory, we worship you and we bless your holy name for your power. We bless you for your majesty and for your love. We bless you, King of glory, for the opportunity of being your sons and daughters. We bless you, King of glory, for your word, O King of majesty. We bless you because we know that in you we are secure. We bless you, Lord, because we know that you sure do care about us. Your word teaches that you do not leave us as orphans. You, in fact, promise and say that if I do not go, then the help and comforter shall not come. But if I go, then the help and comforter shall come. Father, I want to bless you because we know that we have the Holy Spirit in our day and is able to guide us and uphold us in every situation for every single believer that cares to submit unto the Spirit of the Lord in their lives. We now want to continue submitting our destinies, our directions, and everything that concerns us in this life, town, on earth where we live. We know, Lord, that there are lots of complications, temptations, and arguments against the flow of the Spirit in our lives. Your word teaches in Galatians 5.16 that we should walk by the Spirit, that we shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh for the two, one against one against the other. And that is what happens. The Spirit going against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit that we shall not pursue our own desires. I want to pray, Lord, that you shall uphold us, especially as we continue speaking about our destinies. I know, Lord, that you have a good destiny for us, one that leads us into eternal life. But yet many times there are temptations and, Lord, causes that are going to come from the enemy that want to draw us away from your presence. I want to pray, Lord, that we shall desist from following and pursuing our personal destinies. There is a sense in which the world is attractive. There is a sense in which temporary success is attractive. There is a sense in which we forget about the consequences and we are focusing on the temporary enjoyment and the illusions of pleasure that come only, but only for a short time. So I pray that your spirit shall uphold us, and Lord, we shall be able to pursue you and pursue you alone. My prayer is for my brother and my sister that is struggling with temptation right now, that is being drawn by these evil desires, that is being hallucinated in one way or the other, being led into the wrong direction. So I want to pray that your glory shall surely, my heavenly Savior, uphold us, and your spirit shall direct us, and we we shall be laid upon the rock and the fortress with Christ Jesus. We shall run unto him and we shall be saved. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are saved. And the Lord our God is a rock and he is the horn of our salvation. In him we run and we are saved. That is our prayer. May the Lord upon you even as we wait upon him in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have prayed and believed. And all the people say, Amen, 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 amen. A blessed and wonderful day, uh, my dear friend. Once again, you who is listening to me, wherever you are, uh, picking this a message from. My name is Levran uh, David Kagwa, and by the blessing of the Lord and the mercies of the Lord, I'm reaching you with this uh, message, uh, wherever you may be. I don't know whether you've. Um, um, you know, recently you got to see um, the video that was circulating on social media uh, that um, recorded a number of people that were involved in a, these were market vendors that were involved in a terrible, terrible accident, very terrible accident to the point that a lot of people died on, on, on the spot and so many of them were maimed, heads cut off, limbs cut off and, you know, it was a gruesome sight. I don't know whether some of you got to uh, see that it happened somewhere 
um, in, in Masaka, um, in the greater Masaka rural areas or some, uh, some place that side. And friends, the question that came to my mind is, how many of these were ready uh, for the termination of their destinies here on earth? How many of these had prepared to go and meet their creator? You know, how many of these had not messed up in the market by doing the wrong thing? Sometimes you go to places of that nature and we are messing in immorality and adultery. I mean, how many uh, were completely yielded to Christ to the point that uh, they were not worried about uh, submitting to him and uh, simply waiting for what was going to come because they, they would have been confident in the fact that he... Uh, they were resting in his uh, manifest presence and uh, counting on uh, the redemption, salvation, justification and uh, deliverance and sanctification of the spirit of the Lord in their lives. How many? Friends, anytime, um, you know, we our lives can come to an end and yet in a sense, by our lives coming to an end, they're actually getting to a new beginning, depending on how you've lived your life down here on earth. So today we continue to speak about uh, our life and destinies. Uh, we started that very, very big um, topic, but uh, right now we are, are focusing on um, a, a sub-theme that is entitled uh, The Vanity of Self-Led or Self-Created Destinies. The Vanity of Self-Led or Self-Created Destinies. Now this um, is, um, the passage of our focus is a um, exodus, uh, sorry, um, First Kings and chapter 1, verse 49 to 53 first kings and chapter 1 verse um, 49 to 53 and this message comes on uh, the backdrop of um um first kings chapter 1 uh, verse 1 to about 48 where we've done our um, prior teachings uh, that are foundational to this particular one if you were not a part of these teachings and uh, you want to follow them up you can uh, uh, follow them on uh, our online podcast that is called Mission Ezra 710. We can make the link available uh, for you to be able to access these teachings that are really, really life-changing. I'm personally impacted by these teachings. Okay, permit me first of all to uh, get to read uh, the passage quickly and then we shall launch deep into um, and unpacking and unveiling it with the help of the Spirit of the Lord Himself in our lives. He says there in First Kings chapter 49, uh, chapter 1, verse 49, he says uh, in First Kings chapter 1, verse 49, he says, Then all the guests of Adonijah were terrified, and they arose, and each went on his way. And Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, and he arose, went, and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, He will not let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon said, If he is a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the ground, but if wickedness is found in him, he will die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and prostrated himself before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your home. Now, friends, like I said earlier, uh, this uh, particular passage comes on the backdrop of uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and um, verse 1 to around verse 48, 
which is a, a passage that basically speaks about uh, the succession field that was uh, between Solomon and uh, Adonijah. We got to see earlier uh, that um, um, David, uh, prior to his, uh, you know, a resignation from the throne, um, inactive resignation, um, he had actually promised um, uh, Solomon and um, his mother Bathsheba that Solomon was going to be the man that was to succeed him on the throne upon his death. But you realize that if you study First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 9 and First uh, Chronicles chapter 28, you'll actually realize that this did not basically come from David, but it came from the Lord who chose Solomon to be one that was going to um, succeed David. We say that was a, a pointer to the grace of the Lord having chosen Solomon, a man that was born of Abesheba, a woman that had been taken from Uriah, who himself had been killed by David in his um, immoral relationship with Bathsheba. So that was a point uh, that pointed to um, the grace of God. But uh, after that, what we have to look at today here uh, in that particular teaching or in the uh, uh, initial teachings that we got in this particular chapter, we got to realize that uh, the Lord um, has worked out our destinies, but we also got to say that uh, we've gotten to participate or uh, play our own part uh, for the destiny of the Lord to come to pass upon our lives or for whatever God has purposed. Uh, to, uh, to to come to pass in our lives. So basically, that is what it is. Now today, we are going to be looking at um, the vanity of self-led or self-made destinies. The vanity of uh, self-made uh, destinies is what we are going to look at today. You realize that even when God, when, even when God had um, purpose that um, Solomon was the one to inherit David's throne, because you know this was going to have eternal and redemptive implications upon the history of mankind, and therefore it had to happen and happen God's way and God's way alone. And so it mattered who was in the lineage of David or who in the lineage of David was to sit upon the throne of David or to assume the throne of David. Now, what we are going to look at here is that I'm going to basically summarize this um, very, very short and broad message in two main points. One is that you've gotten to learn to deal with the, uh, we've gotten to uh, learn to deal with uh, the ever-present temptation or reality of pursuing your own destiny. The temptation to pursue our own destinies is very, very ripe before our presence. In fact, it is a minute-by-minute minute temptation or a minute-by-minute minute reality given our um, fallen human nature and uh, the fact that we are living in uh, uh, the human flesh down here on earth. So that is something that we shall back up with uh, an earlier verse in uh, um, uh, First Kings chapter 1. Secondly, Self-made achievements or destinies are short-lived and are peace-robbing by default, or they are problematic. We are going to realize, secondly, that self-made achievements or destinies are short-lived and are peace-robbing peace uh, by default, or they are problematic. Basically, that is what we are going to be uh, looking at, uh, my dear friend. 
Now, there are a number of things that we need to get to uh, uh, take notice of in this uh, particular passage. Uh, one is uh, the fact that um, God, uh, through the writer of Kings here, is uh, speaking about um, uh, a, a disenfranchisement of, um, a, of sorts of um, Adonijah, who was a self-proclaimed king. And then secondly, the fact that he speaks about um, Adonijah running to the altar. He's not the first, we shall see some other men that did this, running to the altar as some sort of refuge. We are going to be looking at that. Those are very, very key in unlocking the uh, focus of this passage, my dear friend. Okay. Um, one, we realize that we've gotten to learn to deal with the ever-present temptation or reality of pursuing your own destiny. Uh, we've gotten to learn that. Now, from the introduction, you realize that Adonijah uh, whose name actually means my God is Jehovah or my Father is Jehovah, fails to live to the true essence and meaning or implication of his name. We realize that he had gone against the will of the Lord and also the will of um, the royal establishment in uh, Israel at that particular time and uh, had uh, decided on his own to go and uh, uh, you know assume the throne you, you, you see that? Basically, that is what he did. Now, as soon thereafter, remember in uh, the previous teaching that uh, sober men in the spirit like um, uh, Prophet Nathan marched to David, who was now weak and frail. Um, most of his time, he was in the bed. Actually, all his time, he was in the bed, old and had failed to get even warm to the point that they are to follow um, a Near Eastern custom of finding a young virgin to come and sleep in his bosom for purposes of warming him up. So Nathan uh, uh, and Zadok had uh, engineered out a plan. Of course, uh, Nathan basically guiding Bathsheba, who went to David and later was backed up by uh, Nathan uh, to tell him that Adonijah had uh, somehow um, assumed the throne and David uh, gave the proper order of um, um, his son Solomon uh, getting uh, coronated or uh, to, to, to assume his um, throne. So we get to see that now. Uh, as soon as that had been done, uh, all Israel or most of Israel gathered around Solomon and the Bible says to the point that uh, in their celebration they cracked the ground. That must have been something. <laughs> that must have been something. So what followed was that one, uh, the people fled, those that were in the company of um, um, Adonijah fled from him because they knew what that exactly meant. It um, uh, basically um, pointed to the fact that David was um, uh, not uh, into Adonijah becoming king, but uh, had uh, um, cleared and authenticated Solomon to become king. And David being the greatest Israelite king, and no one was willing to just go against David in a straightforward manner of that nature. But uh, the first thing that we need to realize here is, one, that we need to learn to deal with the ever-present temptation of uh, all reality of uh, pursuing our own destinies. Friends, you get to realize that in First Kings chapter 1 and verse 5, this gentleman called Adonijah, 
they had assumed um, on his own the throne of David. Now listen to what the Bible says in uh, 1 Kings 1, 5, the Bible says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, um, exalted himself. You hear that? Saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. So he realized that he succumbed to um, the Covetous notion of uh, uh, having himself become king more or less in uh, the, a similar manner that Absalom had uh, actually assumed earlier on. And we know that uh, the ramifications or the consequences were terrible uh, to the point that um, Absalom had to die in a, a civil war that he had um, declared upon his father uh, that had temporarily abdicated the throne and gone into hiding in a, a sense. And, and the same fate is actually to befall Adonijah, as we shall see, uh, not so far away uh, in uh, the second uh, chapter of uh, First Kings. Now we realize that just like Adonijah, friends, there are many of us, or there are many challenges before us uh, today and in many days, and uh, probably these are going to continue, that pull us towards uh, pursuing our own destinies or pursuing our own things or having our own approach to things in our lives. You see, and often we find it very enjoyable, at least in the short run, but oftentimes temporarily to pursue our own direction. You see, that is where the problem is, just like an Adonijah, in typical Adonijah style. That is what many of us end up doing. And it promises, the, 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 the main problem in pursuing our short-lived destinies or short-lived um, choices is a, or lies in the fact that it promises um, pleasure, uh, which usually is short-lived, but uh, it is so powerful, so much powerful that um, you don't get to think of uh, the eternal consequences uh, or even the consequences, the consequences that come thereafter, even before you get into eternity. Uh, you know, it comes and crowds your mind and your judgment and um, kind of overshadows uh, the proper function of the Spirit of God in your life and uh, thereby corrupting the um, proper sense of judgment in the Spirit and uh, your choices. And therefore, you end up doing the wrong thing. So that's where the problem is. What Adonijah does here is uh, um, easily reminds me of what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, where he says that uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but... Um, the end of it is ways of death or uh, destruction. That is what the Bible teaches. The Bible also teaches in uh, <laughs> Proverbs, and I'm going to quote this very, very, uh, <laughs> very, very carefully, because he actually says in Proverbs 12 and 15 that um, a, a fool is right in his own right, but uh, the wise seek advice or wisdom. A fool is right in his own way. And that is what the Bible teaches, depending on uh, uh, your version. Mm. A fool looks at his uh, choice or his approach to things, and he says, yes, I am right. Uh, but the Bible teaches here that um, um, those that are wise are definitely going to uh, seek wisdom. That is what the Bible uh, goes right ahead to teach. So we need to be very uh, careful, my dear friend, in the way that we pursue life. 
Um, the Bible says, let me just quote it verbatim, that the wicked desire the stronghold of evil doers. Um, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, verse 15 of Proverbs 12 says, the way of fools seems right to them, but <laughs> the wise listen to advice. You hear that? The way of a fool seems right to them, but um, the wise seek for advice. I think you're hearing that. Now, the, the, there is a sense in which deviating from the Lord promises short-lived pleasure and uh, not joys, but kind of happiness, and you feel like you're on top of the world, on top of things, you see? And uh, this kind of um, trade-off doesn't actually make any logic because there's not much that you're gaining save for an elusive temporary happiness or pleasure that is going to end up messing you uh, so, so very deeply. Let me just give you an example. Uh, for example, someone stealthily moving off uh, the presence of your wife and going into an illicit relationship or just casual sex that is very, very short-lived. It has this funny, impulsive, uh, you know, uh, compelling composure within you to the point that you get to think if I just get that girl, if I just get that woman, you know, it, the, the, let me tell you the, the power of your inner man and uh, the ability of um, your brain and internal judgment or inner judgment, you know, people end up undressing women and dressing men or basically looking at there's so many things that you are going to be able to do with that money uh, that you are going to fruitlessly acquire uh, to the point that you end up not being able to thwart your uh, wicked intentions. That is how it works, you see? And this is why uh, St. Matthew in um, Matthew uh, 7, uh, 13, 14 is quick to remind us that narrow is the way that leads to eternity or heaven and very few people are walking it. So you need to know that the way is wide that leads into destruction and very many people walk into it. Uh, basically, uh, that points to the fact that if uh, you're going to be pursuing the destiny of the Lord, oftentimes you're going to find it challenging, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's untenable or unviable. Otherwise, the writer of Hebrews 12 would have written in vain, he says that since we have a myriad of uh, witnesses that has gone before us, therefore let us put off every, uh, you know, heavy stuff that entangles us in pursue our, you know, salvation or journey or course with commitment. Uh, I want to imagine you get to understand that. You, you see, uh, things like fraud, things like you know, focusing on that temporary enjoyment that is coming, things like looking at the position that you could potentially get at office by simply sleeping with your boss as he promises, you know, those kind of things uh, seem to have a lot in, in terms of promising you pleasure and uh, enjoyment, but in uh, the real sense, at the end are promising nothing practically. And that is what it is. Um, this man, Adonijah, actually had uh, a lot of emptiness in his pursuit. Why? Because even when you look at uh, his point of departure of um, um, swearing himself into kingship, uh, when uh, you go back and focus on verse 9, in First Kings chapter 9, uh, ch chapter 1, you realize that definitely there was... Um, uh, you know, this was self-detonating and it was always going to be a matter of time before this thing backfires. Just look at uh, First Kings chapter 1 
in verse 9. The Bible says, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by uh, the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside Enrogel. Uh, you, you, you hear that? Now, the, the term Zoheleth itself simply means serpent stone. Uh, and we know that this was uh, a standard landmark identified with the previous um, Jebusite or those people that lived in Jerusalem before it was conquered by David and, and they were worshipping a Jebusite snake, you know, at that particular location. Now, in one way or the other, what Adonijah is uh, publicly stating is uh, the fact that I cannot stop at anything to get kingship. He actually went into a place of uh, demonic worship to proclaim and uh, bring to inception his kingship. What? So you can see that everything was out of, um, you know, focus uh, and rhythm. You understand that? So in other words, oftentimes when we are pursuing our personal agendas, oftentimes you're going to find that they're against the will of the Lord. And even if they're in line with the will of the Lord, they're going to be skewed and lopsided and they won't, um, you know, get to what the Lord has intended this uh, to be. You need to be very careful and get to understand what the focus of the Lord is in your life. Now, secondly, we need to know that self-led achievements or self-led destinies are short-lived and they are peace-robbing or they are problematic. In First Kings chapter 1 and verse 49 to 51, we realize something very, very uh, meaning-laden and interesting here. Look at what he says. He says uh, that then all the guests of Adonijah were terrified and they arose and each went on his way and Adonijah was afraid of Solomon and he arose went and took hold of the horns of the altar now it was told Solomon saying behold Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon for behold he has taken hold of the horns of the altar saying let King Solomon swim to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword Solomon said if he is um, a worthy man, not one of his heirs, will fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. Now, li listen to this here. About two, three main things happen here. One is the fact that uh, the people, after knowing that um, Solomon was the bona fide king and uh, David's choice um, of succession to um, Israel kingship, All the people that had, um, you know, come to, in a way, um, emptily uh, legitimize um, Adonijah's uh, candidature to kingship um, fled and went away, knowing how credible David's leadership had been and how influential his word was. So they fled and went. The first thing that you need to realize here is that oftentimes when we make wrong choices in life, and um, the actions that we get into are always going to have an impact on others. We are reminded of the fact that it is Adonijah here that leads the people into legitimizing his um, ill-fetched um, kingship. But you get to realize that if David had chosen to take, um, you know, action or to uh, retaliate against them, um, you would have seen that they would have faced very, very negative um consequences upon their lives with the possibility of death. 
So every time we pursue wrong destinies, every time we choose wrong directions in our lives, we don't only affect our lives, but you're going to find that you're affecting the, the lives of those other people. It could be people that are very close in the name of family, friends. It could be colleagues at work. And it could also be people that um far away uh, from where you are, but um, could actually get deeply affected depending on your sphere of influence and uh, their connection with your circles. And that, that, that is what it is. So you realize, uh, for example, in the case, I'm reminded of the case of Korah and Abiram, I think in number 16, men that arose against Moses and uh, his leadership, and they said that he had uh, actually um, kind of overstepped his mandate, or did God only choose, um, you see, uh, Moses, uh, and, and not them. What actually happened was that these men were <laughs> swallowed by the ground when Moses prayed and handed over the matter unto the Lord. You see, there are several cases that we could quote in Scripture. You see, uh, this thing reminds me of what happened in Joshua chapter 7 when a man called Achan ended up um, partaking of um, uh, forbidden articles. Uh, you, you, you see, and took some of them and hid them under his uh, tent. But yet we know that in uh, Jeremiah 23, 24, that uh, the Lord is uh, really that omnipresent and uh, omnipotent. He fills the, uh, the, the, the heavens and the earth. And uh, therefore, what is it that you can do away from his presence? Uh, it is basically impossible. But what we realize here is uh, that uh, um, when Achan was uh, stoned uh, to death, it also entailed uh, his family. That, that is how dangerous it, it gets sometimes. You end up messing with, with this woman and the other woman and you'll be getting so many children. And when the time comes uh, that uh, you're bidding farewell to this uh, good wide world, you get to understand that your children are going to suffer of the competition of, of of the stepmothers and and issues of that nature they are people that have been fraudulent at in, in workplaces and because they are externally trusted you see they end up implicating others and they are fired and yet oftentimes people that are fired are innocent you see i'm not saying all the time but sometimes sometimes that's the right um you, you know statement there you see that that is basically how it works. We've heard of stories of where people have been um, have committed to prison on uh, grounds that um, are not, you know, legitimate, justifiable. Later, they get to understand someone was uh, maybe arrested or committed to prison for a felony or um, for 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 murder, and it comes out that it was a TV the manslaughter or something. Someone surfaces whom they were claiming to have been murdered and uh, they, they are alive and well. You see that? So, and you find that people have suffered, uh, uh, you know, in, in vain. And uh, that is what it is. Uh, that is what it is. Now, later, Adonijah, whose name I told you means God, and uh, my God is Jehovah, meaning uh, that he should have had a personal relationship and therefore uh, honored the Lord and uh, his name that is highly glorified. Uh, fails and, and, and um, you know, to live off the true meaning of his name. He fails. And uh, later, what actually happens 
is uh, that when uh, um, Adonijah is told that Solomon is king, and knowing that his father was uh, actually uh, backing up um, uh, Solomon, uh, he he ran straight into uh, the altar. He ran straight unto the altar and uh, clings unto the horns of the altar. Now there were two types of altars, or there were two uh, main altars in the. Uh, uh, the Old Testament um, Israelite temple worship. Uh, there was what we call the brazen altar outside the tent of meeting or outside the temple, the brazen altar or the altar of bronze, um, which was uh, used basically to receive these burnt offerings. And then there's what we call the altar of incense, which was inside the temple in the holy of holy in the holy place just before the holy of holies, where the high priest entered once a year to get to place um, uh, incense and, 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 and sprinkle blood upon, uh, and then use it to go in there and sprinkle blood upon the master seat for the atonement of men, on, or for the forgiveness of men on that particular um, occasion. So uh, th th that is how it was uh, actually working. Now, but what actually happens is that um, this man, Adonijah, upon realizing uh, the mess and his miscalculation after realizing that Solomon had actually become king, he flees and runs unto the outer, unto uh, the outer of the brazen, um, unto uh, the horns of the brazen outer. Uh, you see, now we want to see what is the significance of someone um, uh, taking hold of these horns of the outer. What is the significance? What was the significance? over this uh, particular uh, procedure. Now, you can't uh, basically easily understand this until you get to um, collaborating scriptures here that are going to help us explain this. Now, initially, in a, um, Exodus chapter, uh, when you go to Exodus chapter, must be 27, uh, you're going to realize that there was a special purpose for which uh, this altar was uh, laid in place or put in place. There was a particular purpose. In um, Exodus 27, but I would have preferred 29 more, but this is also important. Uh, verse 1 and 2, the Bible teaches and says, Build an altar of acacia wood, uh, three cubits high. It is to be square, um, five cubits long and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the outer are of one piece and overlay the outer with the bronze. Uh, let's now move, having seen that, to um, Exodus 29, and uh, this uh, shall be verse 12, uh, which teaches and uh, says, um, let me just take it from verse 10, which teaches and says, bring the boot to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on it, on his head, slaughter it in the Lord's presence in the, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar and both kidneys, blah, 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 blah. But burn the bull's flesh and his hide and his intestines outside the camp in its it is a sin 
offering. Uh, you, you hear that? Uh, basically, that, that is what it is. So you realize that and sacrifices and offerings were given on the outer, one for atonement, and two, you realize that it had uh, intonations of uh, deeper and, and salvation through Christ in a sense, and therefore it points to uh, redemption, deliverance, and justification and sanctification in a sense, looking at uh, uh, the, the, the essence of um, uh, blood as we see it. So later, what actually happens is uh, that uh, it basically comes out better in uh, um, Exodus chapter uh, 21, verse 12 to 14. Uh, that will be a better explanation there. He says that uh, anyone who, speaking of personal injuries and how they are meant to handle, and uh, here he was uh, legislating um, uh, against um, interpersonal relations in, in Israel. And he says, anyone who strikes a, a person with a, a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but uh, but uh, God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. Uh -huh. Listen to this. They are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes, verse 14, if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. I hope you realize that. <laughs> so the connection here is uh, uh, very simple. In a sense, if someone had uh, committed an offense but unintentionally and fled to the outer and took hold of uh, the horns of the outer, then what actually followed was that this person could be um, uh, when, when you get to uh, re realize this, that as long as they are not innocent, this person is not going to be saved in that direction. So what Adonijah actually does here um, is that he wasn't actually, he wasn't innocent, but when he flees to the altar, we've seen that what do they do? They told Solomon that Adonijah has gone to the altar and he is holding or he, he, he is clinging unto is clinging unto the um, horn outers, what actually would have happened was, because Adonijah was guilty of uh, wanting to institute himself as a king, he could easily, he could easily, um, in a way, um, just have gotten killed. But he doesn't get killed. And what is the point? What is the point? He doesn't get killed because of the grace and mercies of Solomon that Solomon chooses to bestow upon him. You see, he chooses to bestow upon him. In this sense, Solomon is a type of Christ who came and um, rid us of our own sin and gave us his grace because by uh, grace we are saved by faith, saying that no man may boast. So Solomon is a type of Christ. But in a sense, you realize that what is the essence of this altar? The essence of the altar is that it was a place of um, it was a place of redemption to begin with. You see, because the Bible teaches in the Hebrews chapter nine and verse 22, 23, that um, without the shedding of blood, it is impossible. 
in any way uh, to forgive sin. So you realize that since these altars were used for sacrifices, they were actually pointing to uh, Christ in one way or the other. In Hebrews 10.4, the Bible says that for it is impossible for the blood of animals or bulls and sheep to be um, able to atone for a one's life. You see, uh, it, it is impossible, but he says that later Christ had to come. Now, in a sense, when you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, you realize that the Bible teaches that through him let us offer what? Our sacrifices of praise, which is a, um, uh, which uh, comes out of the lips that acknowledge his holy name. You, you see that? So uh, that is what it is. You realize that in a sense, this thing was pointing to Christ who would come as our, our altar, ultimately to give us complete redemption. You realize that these kind of altars were insufficient in causing complete, um, you know, redemption. So this is why this is pointing to, uh, to Christ. This is why it is pointing to Christ. Um, so touching the altar has, in a way, was made for or saved those that had uh, undeliberately or unintentionally wounded a person or killed a person or did whatever they did, and we've seen that. It would not save the defiant. When you look at defiant men like uh, um, Adonijah, they should have been killed, but for the grace of God. Later in First um, um, Kings chapter 2, verse 28, we realize that the same thing happened with Joab. Now we have a point to note here. There are a people that simply uphold an external um, inclination to the law of God. When people are watching us, then we are holier than thou. When people are watching us, then we we will try to behave and, and stuff of that nature. But what actually happens is uh, that um, the Lord is interested in a life, um, you, you see that um, kind of taps into uh, the complete redemption in a sense. So Christ actually goes right ahead to um, signify and um, the uh, essence of these uh, things, even when they um, did not get to the real meaning that he gives um, this arrangement later in the New Testament when he dies. When you look at the altar, you realize that its four points could easily have pointed to Christ in one way or the other. The, the, this altar, why did people run to the horns? First, these horns are a symbol of power. If you go to Daniel, I think chapter 7, verse 7 onwards, you realize that he's pointing to several um, powerful leaders there, and uh, he was referring to them as horns. When you go to um, Zechariah chapter 1, must be uh, verse 4 onwards, uh, you're going to realize that uh, he also speaks of horns, which we are pointing to, um, um, you know, kingdoms and, um, you know, sephias of control and dominion. She realized that. So in other words, the altar signified power. And uh, every time that um, um, the priest offered a sacrifice, he took some land and uh, some blood and he smeared it against 
uh, the horns pointing to the power of the blood of Christ, I think realize that pointing to the power of, of the blood of which is through which you realize our redemption and deliverance. Like we've already seen that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that is what it is, my dear friend. You see? And, and um, basically what goes ahead to um, also happen is that um, these altars in a way um, prior to the sacrifice or to the slaughtering of the um, sacrificial animal oftentimes it was hinged or tied unto one of uh, the horns which means that these altars were a means of restraining the horns were a means of restraining um, someone from further uh, further sin uh, that, that is what we see uh, we remember that when Abraham in uh, Genesis um, went to sacrifice um, his son, uh, you know, Isaac, as he had been requested by the Lord. Later, it, the horns of this animal had been held in a thicket, which meant or was a sign of uh, what? Restraint in one way or the other. You, you see that? So they signify power, they signify uh, restraint. But uh, there is a... a, a a psalm that puts it very well if you go to psalm 18 i think verse 2 you're going to realize that this comes out well because the psalm is there david which he actually also speaks about in samuel brings it out well as he points to the lord as his horns and also points to him as a refuge what does he say here in uh, uh, psalm 18 he says i love you lord my strength and the lord there is a capital which points to um a, a redeeming covenant keeping god right there the lord is my rock yes my fortress mm, and my deliverer my god is my rock in whom i take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold you, you see that and this has messianic intonations uh, right in there that is what you realize so in a sense you get to see that when people ran unto uh, the altar and uh, took hold of the horns what it basically meant is that they were running unto uh, a stronghold a fortress where they could be safe especially going by um especially going by you see uh, going by exodus um 21 12 um, 14 going by that scripture you realize that someone was meant to be safe on the horns but what actually happens here is that adonijah runs there and when he runs there he is not innocent but he's pardoned later you're going to realize that in um, um second uh, in, in uh, the second chapter of first kings he is actually killed why because he's obsessed with uh, having um abishag um the, the shunammite who was uh, David's nurse. But um, when you study the context, it could point to the fact that he had been uh, um, a sort of concubine in David's harem, even when he had not known her intimately. By claiming her, basically what this means is that um, Adonijah was making a statement that I'm still interested in the throne. And that is what that particular custom meant. Yeah, this is why God speaks to um, David in Second uh, Samuel 12, and he says that uh, I gave you your, um, I gave you your, your, your neighbors or your souls' wives in your bosom, pointing to their control, not necessarily marrying them, 
In other words, meaning you had power, you assumed power. This is the very reason in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20, it is the very reason that uh, uh, Absalom chooses to um, sleep with uh, the concubines of his father. And so he could declare to him how obstinate he had gotten and also to make a public statement that I am now king. That is what it meant. So this is why later Adonijah is killed by Solomon because of that kind of statement. That is why he's actually killed thereafter. And friends, what does this mean? There are people, and actually Joab does the same thing in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28, that there are people that run to, um, um, to, um, to, to the law externally. There are people that run to the law to be saved. There are people that run to um, the externalities of the law or the people that simply put up an external uh, show and expect that that is going to save them. It doesn't at all. Friends, it never saves anyone in any way. It never saves anyone. It never saves anyone. Anyone that is going to be saved in this kind of arrangement is a, a, a person that is going to realize that they are wayward and they, they are on their own and worthy. And therefore, we shall run, not just to a physical horn, but we shall run to Christ Jesus and the shield and the horn and the rock of our salvation, just like David puts it. Like I've told you in the New Testament, you get to realize that Jesus was an altar in Hebrews 13, 15, and therefore run to him and we offer our sacrifices and, and uh, in one way or the other, our allegiance and uh, Christ will be able to save us. What a powerful, uh, powerful picture that we have here uh, for Christ who comes to save us, who also appears in a sense in Solomon here by forgiving Adonijah on the first count of offense. But when you look at, um, at the New Testament, still you're going to realize that in a sense, um, the four points of the altar could be uh, interpreted to mean the redemption by uh, Christ's precious blood, as we see in First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen and nineteen, by Him teaching that for you were redeemed uh, not by perishable uh, things, gold and silver, but by um, His precious blood. He speaks of redemption. In other words, we are purchased and redeemed out of the dominion of darkness and into His marvelous light. It was costly, and this um second point of the altar could point to the deliverance through the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 2, 14, 15, he speaks of us not having, um, you, you know, he speaks of, of him who, of Christ having overcome the one who had the power of death by the blood of his covenant or by his own blood. You see, so that speaks of deliverance because we're held in bondage by the devil who had the power of death. The, the, the third point of the altar uh, could point to justification. In Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8, the Lord speaks of justification, justification being um, um, a litigation term that basically means that then someone has been declared without want uh, to be without offense, and uh, not that um, they uh, have cleared themselves, but that... Um, uh, the power dynamics have changed and that um, somehow he gets acquitted on account of uh, the, uh, some intervention. You, you see that? So that, that could be the fourth, but uh, the third point in Romans 5, 8, 9, the Bible speaks of justification by saying that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Beautiful. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall uh, we be saved from God's wrath through him? You realize that? So we are justified by his blood. Why? Because he dies in our position. And therefore, justification means that you are now cleared. You're without sin. And then you also, uh, we can see that we are sanctified as we see in Hebrews 13, 12, sanctification meaning the continuous and clearness and purification basically through what? Through the blood of Christ that in a sense remains active in the spirit. You see, in Hebrews 13, 12, the word of the Lord teaches that, and so Jesus also suffered outside of the city gate and to make the people holy through his blood just like you remember um in the old testament in leviticus uh, that uh, that kind of animal that was offered as a sin offering would have to be taken outside uh, the camp so what are we speaking about here is that when we pursue our personal destinies when we make them up when we fix them up in a way it is vain but when we surrender our destinies to christ himself even when we are the vilest of offenders and we are filthy what actually happens is that by his um, uh, by by, by on, on grounds of his uh, redemptive power and uh, sacrifice by his atoning blood on the cross we are cleared friends i don't know where you had gone and fallen so far away from the lord in terms of fixing your own stuff in your life and working out your your you know your own direction by the law and so on and so forth what actually happens is that we can run to christ our rock of salvation and our rock and stronghold and the horn of our salvation. We can run to him and be secure. We can run to him and therefore count on the power of his blood. We can run to him and therefore be restrained from the power of sin in our lives. Friend, I want to tell you, if you've lived like me at some point in incessant sin, when you encounter the power of the cross, you're ever so um, you know, thankful to the Lord and indebted to him that he was able to deliver you. This is what it is, my friend. How far have you fallen from the um, uh, the plan of the destiny of the Lord for your life? How far? And what is it that is eating you up? Are we working out our own directions and forming our own evil and um, you know uh, 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 you know temporary destinies? Uh, what is it? Are you pursuing women and you love them? Is it money and pleasure in the treasure that you 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 love and you're, you're pursuing? You know, what is it? What is it that you're pursuing? Is it self-exaltation and fame, uh, you know, and exalting yourself over others? Is it unforgiveness? There are things that we pursue that actually end up being uh, empty and without uh, eternal value. And therefore, friends, today the Lord is beaconing us and reckoning us to come to him, the, 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 the ultimate and genuine outer, who is able to save us and set us free so we can live a life in his fullness in one way or the other. And this is my prayer. Wherever you could have gotten lost, friend, this is how I used to live. But when you turn to Christ, the outer and outment and fortress or and horn of us of our salvation, we can rest assured that God is going to handle this situation. Please run to him in secrecy, in silence, wherever you may be. Go to him. There are things that are shameless in one way or the other because we get to know that uh, 
people in one way or the other know who we are and yet they don't know exactly who we are um, out of the public eye. Wherever you are, you may tell him, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Please come and take control over my life in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us realign our spiritual priorities, which will de- redefine our priorities in life. May you help us to be guided by you and you alone in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless your King of glory because of who you are, uphold and my heavenly Savior, our call and our focus on pursuing the truth in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you.